0: Welcome. I'm Riley Karsh. I'm Tova Copan. We are thrilled to bring you the We Go Boldly podcast.
1: Let's talk big burning questions, life changes, and maybe a bit of personal business.
0: Let's be bold and brave together. Are you ready? I am. Here comes the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to We Go Boldly, the podcast. We are so thrilled to have you with us today. We are also super excited because it is interview day. Now, we've done this season a little differently. Normally, we go back and forth between interviews and regular episodes, but we change things up because we're always talking about this with you guys. Adaptability is the key. It makes everything in life better. Uh, Before we get started on our interview and introduce our amazing, fantastical guest today, I am going to introduce our amazing, or my amazing, fantastical co-host, Tova. How are you today, Tova? How are your allergies? How's Spring treating you? What's happening?
1: Well, funny you ask about my allergies, because I believe I said uh, that I was going to come home and take a Claritin after my hour walk in the woods, and I did not. Oh, man. (laughs) <laughs> I know. So we'll see how my allergies are as the day goes on, but I am actually feeling like really good. It was a very 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 busy weekend of all the the kids variety. Like I you know, I tell my kids like I I love watching you play. Like I like sure. I just like watching you do stuff cuz I'm yeah. always like if you don't want to keep playing sports, that's okay. I'll watch you do something else. Um but like it was a good weekend. I I one of my goals this year and for the last many years was to learn learn chess. And I feel like this weekend I did like my first step towards that. In oh, like, very so it was nice. exciting. And this morning I did not have the time for a walk, but it was a beautiful day. And I just like knew in my hearts of hearts that I needed a walk. And I also had meditated this morning and I wrote in my journal and I did all these things that I have not been doing recently. So I'm like buzzed off my, just like
0: all of it. I love it. It's spring. It's like a re start for so many reasons. And, um, before, again, before we dive into our interview, I just want to highlight this because sometimes people think they can only restart at like the new year or on their birthday, or I don't know, some specific day of the year. Not true. You can do things at any time. It's never too late. It's never too early. It's always the right time to reset and to like move forward. It's great. I'm also having the same experience, which I find interesting that we are so in sync. This is
1: so true. So true. And I am I am very excited because I'm gonna jump right in and introduce our guest because I'm super yeah. excited. But I will also say that this is also a testament to adaptability. Because this morning I decided that I was going to get up. I didn't really have time because one kid had to be dropped off early to like go for my walk. And I said, you know what, I'm just going to, I could really use my morning routine this morning. I could use the morning to not be rushed. So I'm going to forego a walk today because I really don't have time for it. And then I think something in me was like, you need this walk. You will figure it out. And I actually made a list of things to do on my walk. I didn't do them. (laughs) I just looked at memes for most of it. But I, I, I made a plan um, to do on my walk because I just, I knew that if I wanted to bring my A game to this interview, to this day, to this week, that's what I needed. So I think it's also a testament to just like really listening to what you need. Yeah. What I need right now is to introduce our Fantastic guest. I am so excited. I'm excited to have her as a guest. I'm excited to know her as a human being. Um, And so we want to welcome to the show our dear friend and now all of your new friend. Um, Natalie Roisman. A little about Natalie before we get started. Um, She is, and I I don't normally just grab someone's description on LinkedIn, but I love this so much and it's so true, Uh, a strategic thinker, problem solver, connector, and writer, um, and a immensely empathetic human being. She practiced for over 20 years when she focused on communications and technology, and I'm sure way more detailed things that I do not know and understand. Um, And she has served on a variety of nonprofits and bar associations in a variety of roles, leadership roles. But recently, after more than 20 years in private legal practice, um, as part of a new chapter of her professional life, she has taken the role of executive director of a tech tech law and policy institute housed at Georgetown University Law Center. So in this role, she is responsible for supervising the administration of multiple degree programs at Georgetown Law, coordinating research-related convenings uh, for many, many faculty member- members, organized trainings for congressional staff, which I feel a little better know that knowing that they will be trained by Natalie yes. um, and the people that she is, is working with. Um, and she works towards advanced diversity and equity in tech policy space and hosts a variety of government industry, civil society experts working at the intersection of Law and Technology. It is a very exciting role. I am very excited for her, and I am very excited to have Natalie join us. Welcome, Natalie. Uh, wow. Thank you, Tova. <laughs> that was really a nice introduction. I feel like we
2: should just wrap up now because I'm not really <laughs> sure what I can contribute that will pop the very kind way that you introduced me. I am uh, thrilled to be here with you and Riley.
0: Well, we are so excited to have you on the show. And I want to just before we dive right in, I want to say like, it's such an experience to have someone read or list out your sort of accolades to you. And it can be very uncomfortable for a lot of people. And I want to note that like, it's okay to, you know, bask in your own glow, right? Like to take all of this, like, amazing stuff that you've done and say, I've done some amazing stuff and I'm currently doing amazing stuff and I'm super awesome. Um, which is how we feel about you. And we want to make sure everyone else knows it as well. Um, so let's dive in season eight. We're talking about unlocking what holds us back. Um, I think that you've done a lot of that, Natalie. And so I want to just dive into a hard question. That's how we do things around here. Um, what do you, what do you think is the way in which you have unlocked your purpose and passion in life because it really seems like you have and you're following a a purpose driven life. So, what do you think got you there? Well, you really are starting hard, aren't you? Yes, yes. <laughs> no, we don't do no, light around no, here. No,
2: uh, no more. No, no, like, no a, small talk. Color. Right. Like, hey, what's your favorite season? Uh, football season. Um, it, yeah, I, I. You know, I was thinking about the theme of this season for your podcast. And I thought on the one hand, yes, absolutely. I, I have somehow figured out at least for this stage in my life, you know, how to do that. Um, and on the other hand, and I, I don't mean for this to be like a cop-out answer, I didn't feel like I had a choice. And what I, what I mean by that is I had certain things that I felt called to do. And I was not able, or certainly not comfortable, not having those things incorporated in my life daily. And, um, and so I started gradually making these things part of my life, and I'll provide a little more detail on that in, in a minute, and, and then became clear, I can't do it all, um, certainly not all at the same time, and I needed to realign the way that I was thinking about things, so that the job that I was actually being paid for, because I don't have the luxury, as most people do not, of uh, you know, being independently wealthy and getting to spend every day just doing the thing that I want to do, regardless of whether someone pays me for it. Um, it you know, I, I felt I needed to find something different to do where the job aligned better with how I wanted to spend most of my time. So, so let me back up for a minute on that. Like Tova said, I was a practicing lawyer for many years. I worked primarily in law firms. I had a brief stint in the government. I probably would have spent longer uh, in public service had the politics of the situation uh, been different at the time that I served. But I felt that you know my career and frankly, my mental health was best served by moving back to private practice when I did. Um, and I had many, many great years there. And one of the things that I feel is really important to communicate is I absolutely love what I'm doing now, and at the same time, I am sure that I couldn't be doing what I'm doing now, and I certainly couldn't be doing it well if I hadn't done the things that I did previously. So there's nothing about this pivot um, to something different after 20 years of private practice that I view or intend for anyone else to view as some sort of indictment of how I spent the past two decades, right? It is just literally, like Tova said, the next chapter. But what was increasingly happening for me was that I found I cared so deeply about um, equity in the legal space, in the legal profession, in the tech, media, and telecom fields. Uh, I cared so much about, uh, you know, how associates were trained, about hiring processes, about, uh, you know, Ways of bringing together colleagues, all these kinds of things that are kind of around the edges of what a poor legal private practice is. And for many years, the balance was fine because I loved client service. I really liked, um, frankly, the intellectual challenges of being in a firm and derived a great amount of satisfaction and joy from doing that. And then things shifted, right? And I started to feel like it's not that I don't like my clients, I do. It's not that I don't like my colleagues, I do. Uh, it's just that when I wake up each morning, the way I wanna be spending the day is a lot less that core practice of law and a lot more these other things. And at some point, I mean, you know, law firms are businesses, right? Even the, the best law firms, which I think was true of the law firm that I came from, um, and so, how I wanted to prioritize my time just didn't match anymore, right? with with what a law firm is intended primarily to do. And that's when it clicked for me. Uh, and in fact, the the managing partner of my of my old firm, who is a, a good friend and mentor and kind of career um, guru and and just generally all around wonderful person, uh, you know, said to me, "I just wish that you felt." fulfilled here? And I said, I do, too, because it would be so easy to stay in a place where I'm known, I'm liked and respected. I really like and respect the people that I work with and for. Um, It's a pretty good gig. And I I don't know what I'm thinking, looking for something else, but and this comes back to my very first point about sort of not really feeling like it was a choice. I can't stay like it's just it's almost like that had been decided for me by the universe as opposed to my making some sort of affirmative decision well should I stay or should I look for something else like I I can't stay. It doesn't work because I can't be part of an organization where I don't feel like a full contributor to the underlying mission of the organization. And the underlying mission of a law firm, again, even the one with the nicest people and the best clients and all that stuff, the underlying mission is still to make money in the private practice of law. And that wasn't working for me as my primary mission anymore.
0: So I know that Tova and I want to unpack that like (laughs) so, so much. Uh, So many nuggets in there for everyone who's listening. And um, you answered our first two questions, which is fantastic. Um you didn't no, give me, that's... So clear. You didn't give me the questions in advance. You no, did, right, I didn't. Right. You just went right in. Right. We're obviously in complete <laughs> synchronicity here. Um, but just to be crystal clear in case you missed it, this is a case wherein someone is in tune with their inner voice and listening to their inner voice and following their inner voice because you said so many important things, but, you know, understanding that your entire life is, is a, is multiple seasons, right? Like it's multiple chapters. It's never going to stay the same and embracing the change that happens within us and acknowledging the change that happens within us is so fundamental to our happiness and our contentment or whatever word works for you. Cause we, we struggle with happiness around here, um, it's so fundamental to being able to live a purpose-filled life, right? Because your life is purpose-filled all the time. It's just, what is the purpose? Is it the purpose that you want to be living or not? And, uh, sometimes that changes for us. And I think that's exactly what you just described. I'll let Tova jump in. Cause I know she's like chomping at the bit. Well,
1: yeah. So I, you know, um, because I, I know you, I also know that you you did attempt to, to tweak some things at the firm um, to see if you it could maintain a good fit before you left. Um, but what I wanted to highlight again to, to everyone who's listening and to me, frankly, is that we don't have to wait until we're miserable to make a change. And we can also just know that something's not right. And fortunately, You didn't lose your colleagues. You didn't lose your mentor by leaving. They are mature enough, emotionally, you know, stable enough to recognize that this was not a a personal thing. And I think that's really important because I think so many times, you know, somebody might think about like not really looking at their life until they are miserable or feeling like, well, I'm not miserable, so I'm not going to make a change. And and you didn't you didn't wait for that, um, you were you know you you were willing to say like I I need to do this before I am miserable maybe.
2: Yeah, so I I want to respond to two things, Tova. And the first is I'm so glad that you remembered this because I probably should have mentioned it. Which is back in 2018, I did have that first epiphany of this is not the right um, ratio of things in my life, and I thought at that time that I would need to leave the firm in order to achieve a better ratio, and I wasn't even really sure what the next step would be, and because I did work with such great people um, who absolutely, as you said, it, it's all, it's like on the one hand, they don't take things personally because they don't view it as, you know, about them, but on the other hand, they take it very personally in the sense of understanding me as a person, right, and like what I need and who I am. And so it was through a series of those conversations that the firm management said to me, well, what if you stayed here and we and we created something different? And I was very clear and said, well, don't do it just to keep me because that's not going to be effective or, or, or great outcome for either of us. And they said, no, no, we we think that what you're talking about in terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion, what you're talking about in terms of pro bono, what you're talking about in terms of helping to formalize some of the things that already are an informal part of the culture at the firm, those really are important important to the people here, important to people we wanna attract, important to our clients. Um, and so it was at that point that I became um, a state partner at the firm and I also became um, the firm's first uh, director of social responsibility. And that was something that for several years was, was really quite a good fit and of course, over the course of the pandemic, to be able to have that as part of my portfolio was really important to me. So that was one thing I wanted to follow up on. And then um, and then the other thing, and I really should have jotted this down so I would remember what the thing was that I wanted to say. Oh, so I'm not a super organized person um, in terms of things like physical space and stuff. Um, I think I live a life of abundance <laughs> maybe in a way that is uh, not actually calming. Uh, But I really think that there are tons of um, books and guides and things out there that talk about how to be organized with your stuff that actually also apply to your time and your mental energy and things like that. Um, So your point about don't, you don't need to wait until you're unhappy Um, is a little bit like these questions of, you know, how do you decide which purses to keep? Or how do you decide whether you still need blazers in your closet? Or, you know, like, what is the thing that decides is it in or is it out? And like, do you have to hate it? Does it have to not fit? Do you have to have a completely different job where you would never, ever wear it? Or could it just be that you put it on and you don't feel great? And why do you want to fill your closet with a whole bunch of things that when you put them on, you don't feel great?
1: Well, it's so, oh, go ahead. ahead. (laughs) Last, last season, maybe um, they, they blur sometimes we talked a lot about um, burnout and like busyness for busyness sake. And one thing that we talked about a lot more was saying no. And so if it's not a, you know, it's like, does this bring me joy? If it's not a hell yes, it's a no. And, and that's okay. Right. Like and and one thing that you know i think you learn as you get older is it can be a no for you and a yes for someone else and if if you're not saying a huge big yes to client services anymore then there's probably somebody else as talented and wonderful as you are that could do a better job because they are saying a huge yes to that so i think yeah i think you're right i think it's interesting and as someone who, when I per, feel particularly, you know, f- I always think of it as like floaty, like not grounded in my life. Sometimes it does take organizing a closet because it it helps remind you like what it feels like to really like something.
2: Yeah. And, and are you, I mean, and this is the part where maybe this sort of analogy breaks down a little bit, but this is not true for everybody, right? Some people can be absolutely great contributors, even if they aren't deriving fantastic joy from what they're doing, because I, I I don't wanna suggest that everybody has to maximize what they do as their paid job. There are other ways to do that in your life, okay? But for me, knowing who I am and how I operate, I felt like I was doing a disservice, not just to myself, but to my colleagues, because if I'm not dialed in 110%, um, then I'm not me. And so they weren't getting, or I could see projecting ahead that they wouldn't be getting all that I could give. And that's not fair, right? It's not fair to the people that I work with and not fair to the people whom I work for. um, And that was part of it as well.
0: I think one very important thing to keep in mind is if we are taking up space and not deriving joy from it not not fueling our own purpose not sort of putting our effort into it then we're taking away space from someone else who and you said this tova but I just want to highlight it cuz it's it's something that I learned later in life and wish I had understood when I was younger and felt like I had to do everything all the time and be in charge of everything all the time it's there's almost always somebody else who can do it right and who may want to be doing the thing that you don't want to be doing and so allowing other people to step into their power is a gift and it's and it's something that we all would benefit from right like and so if you remember that when you're when you're worried about leaving something or worried about letting people down it actually makes things a lot easier for yourself and like i said it's a gift to other people to allow them to have that space to step into their power Well, and I I do want to just take it
1: just like one more step further, um, because I do think it's really important, like what you said, Natalie, which is not every job is you pursuing your passion. Loads of people do that outside of their job. And also we recognize that everybody, almost everybody has to work. But have you, you know, I think that there are people like you go through a grocery store and you talk to the cashier and I don't think most people grow up and say, I want to work as a grocery store as a cashier, but you meet the people who genuinely enjoy interacting with the public every day and who maybe like the rhythm of like ringing things up and can handle the ups and downs when somebody's unhappy and they they like the troubleshooting if something doesn't work well. And so it's a good fit for them for that season in their life. And it helps pay bills. And, you know, I look at my uncle who used to be in like toys. He was like a manager of of a Toys R Us. And now he's like sort of retired, but also doesn't like to be retired. So he works all the time and he, all he does is stocking, he stocks shelves and he loves it. He loves to go and stock shelves and just be like, not dealing with the public anymore and right. just like chill out and have, have a place to go every day. And there are loads of people who would be miserable with that job, right. but he's not, He just chills right. and stocks the shelves. And so right. I think that, you know, everybody needs to work not everybody's gonna have a job that brings them joy every day. Not every, well, even if you have a job that is your passion and purpose, it's not gonna bring you joy every day. But I do think that that we can all find something and hopefully it is your job or something within your job that does speak to you, whether it is that you like to interact with your coworkers or you like the rhythm of the organization, that whatever it is. And so I do think it's important that, um you know, I, I think it's important to have these thoughts because oftentimes I think people end up jobs in jobs without actually realizing how they got there. And if they think about it, what they'll realize is they really do like a lot of aspects of their job. They just didn't realize they did.
0: Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. And it's, you know, your job does not have to define you. I think I just want to put that in there. Cause I spent a lot of time also in my life, thinking that my whole life was defined by the work I did. Um, and I was doing the wrong kind of work for me at the time. So that's a real uncomfortable place to be, but it doesn't have to define you. Any number of things define who you are. And those are not necessarily about making money or paying the bills or things like that. Um, I do want to ask another question uh, just to move us down our question list here. And that is um, when you you know, look at your day, what is it that is fueling your purpose? And did you have to change anything In your personal life in order to get there like was your personal life affected by the changes that you've made yeah um
2: so i I think that a premise that i should lay out is that it wasn't an easy change to make in terms of actually getting the job It was an easy change to make in the sense that I mentally felt like I was already ready to do a job like the one I'm doing now, as opposed to what I was doing before, for all the reasons that we just talked about. And I think that um, my husband and my one kid who's old enough to sort of grasp (laughs) that I changed jobs, um, you know, for for them, uh, the biggest personal life change is simply, you know, I'm not looking unsuccessfully for a job uh I'm not you know unhappy at a job and I'm really enjoying you know what I'm doing um, The biggest the biggest changes I mean first I, I had to sort of fight to prove that somebody who was coming from the private practice of law could succeed in a different environment that wasn't directly adjacent to that. Right. And this is not quite what you asked, but um, Riley, you were in politics and, you know, you answer the question you want to answer. And not
0: <laughs> I do. I do. Uh,
2: I think that all of us need to do a much better job at understanding that what someone has done previously does not have to serve as a limitation on what they can do next. And that if they can envision themselves doing something different and they have all the pieces, that that is really worth looking at, considering and giving a chance to. Because surprise, you know, oh, well, you haven't been in the nonprofit world before, so you can't be in the nonprofit world now. So what are you telling me? If I didn't start there right after law school or two or five years after law school, it's too late. I can never do something different. I mean, that just can't can't be the way that we approach this because we have these conversations about take risks, go boldly, do these things in your life. And on the other end is someone, um, and in my opinion, some of the recruiters have been sort of the worst gatekeepers on these kinds of things. They're like, yeah, we could see on paper, That you could be really good on this but you're not a typical candidate and you haven't succeeded in this space previously so we're not going to pass you on to the people who are doing the hiring because that's a high risk situation for us and we have people who are lower risk maybe not as exciting but lower risk we're going to do them instead and it's just like are you kidding me you know have some vision um have to and it's i am the most risk averse person for you know sort of like real life things like you know climbing or skydiving or investing (laughs) or whatever right but when it comes to something professional I mean why not just see you know think differently about it um now I don't even remember what the question was you asked Riley because I wanted to I wanted to really (laughs) make the point (laughs) that like it's one thing like Part of the equation is for someone who wants to make a change to say, I want to make a change. But part of the equation is also for the people on the other end to be open to the idea of, you know what? She seems to know what she's talking about. Everybody who's worked with her says that she'd be really dynamic and incredible for organizational change. Why not?
0: Yeah. When we're talking about employment, I think that's the larger part of the equation, right? Is, I mean, getting yourself to the point where you're ready to make a change, take a leap, move forward is hard and it's uh, personally risky, right? But culturally, I it, we have this awful tendency to discount people's lived experience and to say that, you know, individuals, if they haven't followed the roadmap that society has laid out for them, couldn't possibly get to the end that they intend to get to, right? And um, I certainly have experienced this. I experienced this as a mom in politics. It's something I've talked about at length, you know, resume gaps, um, taking time off to care for aging parents, to care for children, taking time off for your mental health, because that's a a real thing that people need to do should not impact the way in which the world views their capability. That doesn't make any sense because it's proven just not to be accurate. Right. But I think most corporations and, and even in the, um, public interest sector certainly still subscribe to those antiquated beliefs i do however hope and feel hopeful about it changing there's so many organizations now working towards changing the way in particular you know cuz i work in the mom land uh in particular with moms returning to work um so i think it's such an important point but i do want to push you a little bit don't get mad i hope um to talking about how the changes you've made have impacted you personally right because yes all of these larger issues are are important but when we started the podcast it was with the understanding that we have to start at the beginning in order to actually get to the social change right and the beginning is us the beginning is our individual experiences um so that was the question i asked and i i'm uh, i'm curious if you're if you're not if you don't want to talk about it that's totally fine but i'm curious to understand you know what the personal impacts on your life have been, you know, has it changed your relationship with your kids? Has it um, made you sleep better at night? Like what's, what's happening for you? Yeah. Well,
1: and, and you know I'm, what? I'm going to jump in and give you a 10 second break and we're going to take a quick break because oh, otherwise yeah. we're never going to take a break. So let's yes, think true. on it and then we'll come back with a quick break. <laughs>
0: Sounds good. Hey Tova, you know what I love? Coffee,
1: definitions, uninterrupted reading time.
0: Okay, all of those things are true, but I also love maps. As in, Siri, take me to the beach? Yeah, also as in, uh, who am I really and who do I want to be? Yeah, I figured that's what you meant, but I also have the beach on my mind, so... Well, we were talking about things we love, so that definitely makes sense. But the map I was thinking about is our Defining You course. Yes!
1: Yes! we put together defining you as a way to map where you are and how you want to live
0: your life so true so many people struggle to find their purpose in a busy and noisy world
1: that's why we made defining you our course meant to guide you to creating your own mission statement and there's
0: good news you can get it now on teachable.com find the link on our website at goboldlyinitiative.com backslash courses, or check out the link on our Instagram bio at Go Boldly Together.
1: We can't wait to see you there. Now let's head back to the show. All right. So welcome back, Natalie. Now you're on the hot seat to answer that question (laughs) after you've had a a brief brief moment to think.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I should explain, I'm a very systemic thinker. So when you tee something up for me and I have identified that there's a systemic issue, I'm always going to go there. Oh, first. definitely. <laughs> um, so you get that. But, yep. but I'm happy certainly to tell you um, a few things. The first thing is um, a new job is really hard and particularly a new job in a totally new space. So just to you know underscore what Tova said in the introduction. So I'm now at Georgetown University, never worked in higher education before, except for um, being an adjunct professor at GW Law School, uh, and when you're an adjunct, you're just sort of in a different category, not dealing with you know the day to day of the academy, so to speak. Um, and you know, it, I now have to do grants and gifts, and I have students I work with and faculty I work with in a totally different uh, you know type of type of team. I'm having to learn all that. I'm almost six months in. Um, And I would say what I have accomplished is I now think that I mostly know what I don't know, but I still definitely don't know everything about how to do the job. Some of that is there's a very particular rhythm to being in a higher education institution, even if you are not a student or a faculty member. And I'm still learning that, right? There are weeks where campus and the building in which I work are totally abuzz, there are weeks where it's completely quiet all based on what's happening in terms of the academic calendar and I haven't yet gone through an entire academic year so I don't know how those things work. Even things as simple as how do I write an email to x person? In a law firm if you come to me with a very challenging intellectual question that might be hard but I understand the environment in which I'm working and what the pieces are what the tools are that are available to me and sort of what the structure and process should look like in terms of delivering a work product i did not understand that here right i had to learn that and i had to learn the sort of currency of the institution what is valued here versus what was valued in you know previous workplaces for me so how has you know how has it changed me the first few months um, I actually was spending more time at work and was so much more exhausted outside of work because of all of this learning, because it was so new. And every day I would get to work and and would just be nonstop, you know, trying to figure it all out and learn it. Um, And for a variety of reasons, I was sort of understaffed when I first uh, got here. So I was trying to learn my job. And the jobs that technically were jobs of people on my team, but uh, someone was on leave and and another job was vacant. Uh, So I think, I mean, my husband picked up a ton of the slack during that period. And I'm really grateful uh, to him for doing that, for shuttling the kids, all the places that they, all the many, many places (laughs) that they need to be. uh, And just, you know, supporting this change Uh, now, you know, since the beginning of 2023 even though it's in the middle of the academic year um I've been able to take a little bit of a breath uh my team is you know fully staffed at this point that helps uh, and I'm also and and this is a really big thing so when you're in private practice and I don't think being a lawyer is unique in this way um there's there's other types of client service industries there's other types of um you know places where you have Immediate needs that develop, you know, to which you need to respond, always be on call, things like that. Um, I am learning, not succeeding yet, but learning um, that everything is not an emergency and I don't have to be available 24 7. And While maybe I'd like to coach people who are working in private practice that they could do a lot of things to help make their mental health better. At the end of the day, if your job is to serve clients and if your clients need to be able to turn quickly because of things that the government does that are unpredictable, then you don't really have an option, but to be at least theoretically available 24 seven. Nobody should work 24 seven. It's unhealthy, it's inhumane. Like that's just a non-starter, right? But being available is different from Working, and I don't think that it's unreasonable in a law firm environment um, for there to be you know emergencies, and for clients who have things that happen whether in their company or in the marketplace or because of something that the government does or something somebody says on Twitter, who knows what, right? Like they have an emergency, they go to their law firm, and now the law firm has to provide the lawyers to work on that emergency. That's the that's the business model. That's not unreasonable. But that's no longer the business model in which I work, right? So I am learning to shift to a different model, a model that says, are there sometimes going to be things that are urgent? Yeah, of course, in any workplace, there's things that are urgent. And I might be the executive director of the institute that I run, but, you know, I still answer to faculty. I still answer to the administration. I still answer to students if there's something that somebody you know, really needs and needs quickly. Um, But those issues are few and far between, and there are ways for people to reach me other than my having to sort of sit on top of my email constantly, which is part of what being a law firm lawyer looks like. So that's been a big shift. How that um, looks, you know, to my kids, I don't know. Um, But I certainly, I certainly am trying to be more present for them. I don't know that I'm really working fewer hours. I think I'm just turning it off better.
1: So um, I know you had mentioned, I, this is gonna be like a very long question. I'm not <laughs> actually sure what the question is yet, but uh, just- Well, don't worry, know.
2: I'll forget it and choose not to answer
1: <laughs> it by the time. <laughs> Fair enough, You're excellent. So- I wanted to mention, and and we don't even, I mean, we can talk about this if you feel like it, but we don't have to, you know, I know, like you mentioned, like making sure you had it, like you, it, things got better when you got a team around you. And part of that, like you said, was maternity leave and just open space, but you also spoke about your husband picking up the slack. And, and I also, um, a long time ago, I was going to ask a question about the fact that you know you knew that you could do this position even if the recruiters didn't. And I know at least one friend, and I assume there were a lot more other people that you would talk to on the phone occasionally saying, you know, once they figure out that they should hire you, whoever hires you is going to realize how spectacular you are. So, you know, I do want to highlight that there's like a a team, like it's important to surround ourselves with people um, who support us, whether it's on the phone or like in person picking up the slack like that. That really does make a huge difference. Um, but that's not my question. I just wanted to highlight that. So my question has more to do with, um, teaching all of these things that you've learned in the last, you know, five to 20 years, um, Mm -hmm. to your children. Right. Because I know you have, um, a, a, you know, a child who is, is older and like starting to get close to making like big life decisions. Um, And then you have two younger children and I know at the very least one of them is a pretty big risk taker, maybe both of them, um, but different kinds of risk than you less calculated perhaps. (laughs) Um, and like, you know, how, how do you teach them? You know, you want all your kids to be employed, right? That feels important. I think for all of us, but also like, you know, live a life with purpose, um, be willing to take risks and, but also, like, let's add some calculated risks there um, so that we know what's gonna, you know, take. We we've just done a number of episodes where we've talked about how risks are awesome and we should all be taking risks, but they can be calculated risks, right? Which is what you have you have done. You knew you you kind of ran the numbers and you're like, I know I can do this job. It's scary because I've never done it before, but I know I can do this. So how do you, you know, for the last things you've learned in your life, how do you teach your kids these? these sort of things or pass them on, um, to your kids (laughs) or answer a different question. (laughs) No, no, no. I, I,
2: I like, I like that question. Um, but I actually think that, so, so I'm not a hard person to know, right. I'm a pretty open book. Um, I'm not good at camouflaging my feelings and I like, to speak up when I think that things should be a certain way. So if anything, I feel like the danger is I'm over teaching my children because I'm trying to, to, to actively like drill into them the things that I think are important about life. And number one, like, not everybody is like me. Um, I have come to, if not totally understand this, at least to grasp that some people think that's true. Uh, You know, (laughs) not not everybody is like me. Um, And so my kids are probably, not any of them going to be totally like me and maybe one or more of them not at all like me, right? I don't know. Um, I, it's more like, what are they teaching me, what am I learning about myself, and just kind of how to be with people who are different, simply by virtue of how I I try, you know, to meet each of them sort of where they are. So with my oldest, as he's become, you know, a little bit more politically aware and interested like, I'll drag him with me to something, you know, I was a speaker at a event um, on housing policy, and he came and stood in the rain and held a poster. Uh, and I really appreciated that. And that's a chance for him to see not only, you know, that type of issue, but also the importance of showing up, right. So that's something I think I'm trying to to make sure that my kids see. Um, but also, I'm trying very hard to walk the walk with respect to issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? So that isn't something that I'm turning on when I get to work and then flipping some switch, right? I'm I'm trying to make sure that my kids all see and understand how we can infuse that into really almost everything we do, right? You look around in a space, you know, who's not here, whose voice isn't being heard from. Riley, I was thinking about your point before about, uh, you know, people who take time off, whether it's for, uh, you know, to care for young children or to care for elderly relatives or, or what, you know, have you. And that, like, that's a kind of diversity too, right? How are we making sure that all different types of voices and perspectives are represented? Um, so I talk. A lot, you know, with um, with the kids about those kinds of things I guess really, and Toby, your point about risk tolerance is so interesting there, right? Um, for for at least one, possibly two of my kids, I don't have to teach them to take risks. that's that's how that's how they're wired, at least in some aspects but everybody is anxious about some things too. And so how do I support that and encourage them? I mean, here's here's an example. So my youngest who is in kindergarten loves soccer and happens to be extraordinarily good at soccer. Um, and he had a soccer game yesterday. Again, it's kindergarten soccer. So let's not sort of overstate the situation, but his team uh, I think scored eight goals and he scored six of them. Um, and he's just really fast and really good and just has an innate sense, you know, of, of what to do with the ball. And I can say all this because, um, my younger two children are adopted. So I have no, I've contributed nothing genetically uh, to the fact that he is quite, he's quite good at this. And because of how things have been, you know, going for the the last couple of months with him, he really needed the affirmation of feeling really good about the fact that he scored these six goals, right? And I was wrestling a little bit with how to build him up, and at the same time, you know, try to include lessons of sportsmanship and could we pass the ball and how does the other team feel because they only scored three goals? And and then at some point, I was like, just just stop, Natalie. Like, what does he most need right now? he most needs to feel really good about himself and he scored six goals. And so maybe we don't have to teach 25 life lessons and put the whole (laughs) thing in context and see everybody's perspective. Like just like way to go. Yeah. So again, this is an example of, I'm doing much more of the learning instead of the teaching.
0: I I just relate to all of that on every level with my kids. Um, Because it's as people who are both, self-aware and world aware. I don't know. I'm making up that phrase. Um, it, it is so hard not to sort of overwhelm your kids with your values and your beliefs and life lessons, right? Like everything is a lesson, of course, right? Like that's, that's how we grow. That's how we learn, but we don't have to teach every lesson. And that is such a hard hard thing to do as people who want to raise good, kind people. Um, but the thing that I heard the most in what you were saying, and, and it actually makes me feel really good about my own life, so thank you, is that living your values is teaching your kids, right? Like they're teaching us all the time that when I became a mother, I, I swear I had like a personality transplant. Things changed dramatically for me in the sense that I became so much more willing to learn, grow, take risks, put myself out there, because I wanted that for my kids. Um, But living your values really impacts not just your kids, but your marriage, if you're married, your relationships with your friends, your relationships at work, and most importantly, your relationship with yourself. Um, I want to, we don't have much time left because we have just been chatting, and it's wonderful. But I do want to talk a little bit about um, failure. And, and failure and how that has affected your life, what sort of how you deal with failure, because uh, I think particularly as women of our generation, we are not have not been allowed to fail. Um, And we've been taught to uh, feel really terrible about every failure. And so I'm curious to hear how you deal with it. And I'm curious for our listeners to maybe take some lessons away from from those experiences in your life. Um, failure makes me super uncomfortable
2: uh, to do it and to talk about it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm winning with all the uncomfortable questions today. <laughs> so there's that. Um,
2: I mean, you know, sort of the first part of that is like what what constitutes failure, like by whose measurement, because. I would tell you, I mean, I could give you a list, right? If I were willing to push through the discomfort of it, I could give you a list of all the ways that I have failed, but I'm also self-aware enough to recognize that, (laughs) I'm also self-aware enough to recognize that, um, that not everybody else considers those things to be failures. Right, or or might be more willing to excuse or just be fine with it, maybe than I am. I'm pretty hard on myself in that in that way. I mean, look, I don't I don't really have an entrepreneurial spirit. Okay, so there's that thing in uh, in the tech sector and like Silicon Valley in particular, where the whole goal is to fail because if you haven't failed, you know you haven't been sort of trying hard enough. Um, and I guess that's one way of being, and that's that's not my, that's not my way. Um, the things I'm willing to take risks on are number one, how I spend my time, right? If something seems like I'd really enjoy it or find fulfillment, in it or it arguably you know, fits with a personal mission or, or whatever. And, and sometimes those things really pan out well and sometimes they don't, but you can't know unless you give it a shot. Um, in this new job, I'm weighing, I really don't want to have failures, but the only way to not have failures is to not try anything. And that doesn't seem like a good option. So sometimes the things are little, right? You know, somebody says, let's do an event on X or let's host this at such and such a time or let's invite, you know, so-and-so and and say, okay. I haven't been here long enough to know if people will come to an event at that time or people want to hear that kind of person but I'm willing to give it a try, Uh, you know and my team and I will handle the logistics and we'll put it together and, you know we'll see what happens and some of those have been better subscribed than we thought, some of them not you know, not as much. Um, I think I'm at the point right now where I haven't really put myself out in a way that has a huge risk of failing. I mean, other than just taking on a new job in which I <laughs> didn't have <laughs> experience previously with something like this. Um, but I think there will come a point in the future, once I get settled and I know what I'm doing, um, you know, maybe I will do more writing. Maybe I will get back in the classroom. Uh, you know, I am bringing on two attorneys this fall. Well, they're, they're not attorneys yet, they actually are about to graduate from law school. Um, and then they will take the bar exam and then they will come and they will work here as justice fellows uh, at the Tech Institute And I have to decide what are they gonna work on and what is their year going to look like, both for them and for the benefit of the institution. And I haven't done that before, right? So it could be a failure, I hope it won't be. Um, I I don't think I can really pull from examples in the past because they've all been so narrow that there's not a a broad lesson there. but I guess what I would say is, I am constantly thinking about where where is the point? So Tova, you, you talked about the calculated risks, but what does that really mean? Because everybody's calculation is going to be different. So how, how much confidence do you need that something might work in order to take the risk on it? I think that's gonna shift for me in this new environment.
1: I would actually say that I think that you are a lot better with failure than you think you are. Um, I actually think you're kind of spectacular at it. And this is not from any personal experience. It's actually from just hearing you speak because you have the ability based on what you've said to constantly reframe an experience. So you've learned from it. And maybe there are big, quote, failures in your life that that we're not talking about. And that's OK. But I think on those that, that you are actually more nimble, maybe, and adaptable and more um, able to handle failure than than you maybe realize. And, you know, in the great words of Jalen Hurts or the great Jalen Hurts, you know, he <laughs> says that, you know, because I, I had to get an Eagles thing in here with one of my favorite Eagles fans. Um, he says that you either win or you learn. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, I'll say to my kids after games this weekend, I had to say it a lot, (laughs) like, and, and it's not a silver lining. It's like, what can we take from this? Like, what did we do well? And we're going to move on. Um, so I would, you know, not, I, I think we are, we are kind of at time, but, um, and I know we want to do our quick questions, so we might just have to have you back again, but I do, I do think that you are probably better at failure than you realize you are.
2: I appreciate that, Tobin. And I, I want to say, I, I love that quote from Jalen and, you know, I love Jalen and, you know, I love the Eagles. I think the challenge for me is what he really seems to be saying there is you either win or you learn and if you don't win and you learn you're only dwelling to the extent that you can turn it into a learning experience and and i'm still really not good at also having you know guilt shame you know backwards looking how could i have done it different like it just like weighs on me yeah and, yeah um and that maybe is something that i could improve on
0: yeah we'd like to look at that as um Acceptance, right? The ability to accept that circumstances are what they are without saying that they can't change, right? That we can't change them at some point, but accepting that today is today and it is how it's going to be and that sometimes that's out of our control. Um and I'm not good at that. Yeah, I, it's a I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just have to say like no, that that is I think
2: my I think my friends and particularly my family would tell you that is one of my biggest flaws is I am not willing to accept that some things just are the way they are. And I don't mean that as you know some sort of inspirational, like you can always change things. I literally mean that as like, that's not healthy. Um, and sometimes you absolutely have to do exactly what you said, Riley. And that's a thing that I'm working on, but my mind is just wired to always think, can we change this? Can this be different? Can yeah. this be better? Can this be fixed? And um, not only is that annoying sometimes to people in my life, um, but it's exhausting. And uh, and I think it would benefit myself and a lot of other people if I could sometimes just be like, well, this is how it is.
0: I think um, it's really important. And I, I just want to make this point very clear for for all of us, but anyone who's listening as well. It is normal to struggle and it is normal to have things That we are working on and that is okay right and and we can still accept and this is super hard and i'm not suggesting you should like wake up tomorrow and do this but we can accept the world as it is today and change it tomorrow or at the same time we can have conflicting thoughts feelings and emotions our world is not linear and we will not think in a linear way as much as we may want to and it is hard to accept Accept acceptance is the word, it's hard to allow that to be the truth for us at any given moment. Because if you are somebody who cares about the world, then you want to make it better all the time. And you want to do better and you want to be better. And it's, I think that you can do that and accept what is so that you're not living in what might have been. Um, I do, we're pretty much out of time. So I just want to quickly do our bold response questions. Cause I know, uh, people They're will want to hear them and we love them. Um, so I'm going to put you in the hot seat again, Natalie, and we are going to ask you five questions. I am not allowed to ask any follow-up questions. And these are meant to be like short responses too. So our first question, very, very deep question. What is on your nightstand right now? Uh, phone charger. Uh,
2: my earbuds so I, I fall asleep sometimes to a, a meditation several books that I have not touched in several weeks a noise machine
0: and reading glasses and a lamp excellent um all right question number two what or who is on the top of your musical playlist right now I should have a quick answer to that, right? I I, d- I, I like... didn't when Tova asked me. So <laughs> well, <I'm laughs> and, listening- and I knew the question. Yeah, I mean, I have
2: <laughs> I have one kid who only listen wants to listen to Hamilton. I have another kid who has her Disney Princess playlist. So I definitely am getting uh I'm getting a lot of those. Um,
0: I think for me, I, I usually will go back to Billy Joel. Love it, love that. Um, all right. Number three, what is one thing you haven't done yet that you always wanted to do? I mean, other than change the entirety of the world so that it's a better place. We know that. (laughs) Right. Right. There's, there's definitely that,
2: um,
0: I want to go to Hawaii. Excellent. Okay. These are, so those are things that you can accomplish. That's great. Or that is a thing you can accomplish. Um, what is your favorite beverage? Hot chocolate with a shot of butterscotch schnapps. Ooh, that's oh my delicious. gosh. Um, okay. Last one aside from necessities, what one thing could you not go a day without? we don't mean people right you mean you literally yeah I think people are a necessity personally well it depends on the day well (laughs) that's a solid point my kids were away all weekend so I feel that way today
2: (laughs) A not good day
0: um
2: sunshine I like it
0: yeah um so that is all of our questions for today. I mean, we could talk to you forever, obviously. Um, where can people find you on uh, social media or where can they find your work stuff yeah. or whatever you would like to share with the audience? If anything, you don't have to. Uh, no, I'm,
2: I mean, I'm, I'm happy to. Uh, we didn't get a chance to talk a lot about my actual job uh, that I'm doing now, but I'm always thrilled to talk with people about that if they have an interest in uh, tech, law and policy, access to justice, teaching students, DEI, any of that. Uh, I am at the Georgetown Law Institute for Technology, Law and Policy. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn and happy to connect with anybody.
0: All right, so we'll share all that in the show notes, everyone, and on our posts so that you can find Natalie uh, and find all the amazing work she is doing. We are so grateful that you are on the show today. I hope you had fun. We had a great time, I know. Um, And uh, with that, we will be back next week with another episode on unlocking what is holding you back. Thanks, everyone.
1: Thanks so much for listening to We Go Boldly podcast. We know you're busy and we love spending
0: time with you. If you enjoyed this week's episode, let us know. Head to Apple Podcasts right now rate and review our show while you're there be sure to click that subscribe button
1: want more us time follow us on all the socials at go boldly together
0: want even more us time as in all the coaching pizzazz find us at goboldlyinitiative.com for all the info
1: we will be back with more excitement research and deep thoughts next
0: week until then Keep on being the bold, brave, amazing people we know you already are.